All right, and good morning, Ridgepoint Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Welcome as we kick off a new series, a big series for us. We're going to be going through Transformed for the next seven weeks. And if you journey with us on the whole journey, it's a 50-day journey beginning this morning. Uh, everyone, if, if, you, if you have not figured this out, we need to figure this out. It takes a long time to develop good habits. Uh, bad habits can form kind of quickly. Good habits take some time. Uh, how many have ever tried to take up running? How many have ever tried to take up running unsuccessfully? <laughs> See, because here's what we do a lot of times, especially when it comes to like physical fitness type stuff, is, is we think that, well, if I work out today, tomorrow I should feel better. And we feel worse. Like, like we start running, and maybe for you it's like I, I could barely run around the block, and I get around the block, you think, okay, tomorrow it'll be easier. But tomorrow you're tired, your muscles are sore, and you're really in no better shape than you were yesterday. And so we try it for a couple days, maybe try it for a week, and then we just give up. Well, we're convinced as we kick off this series called Transformed, it's a 50-day journey because we believe it takes more than just a week to get things on track, and it takes more than just hitting on one category. And so this series is built upon the premise of, of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's read those verses quick together before we get into this. Romans 12, 1 and 2 say, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The idea of this series, transformed, comes from this verse. But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And, and so we're beginning this series saying we want to be transformed. The transformation doesn't happen overnight. But transformation is necessary for every one of us. We're going to, in just a second, introduce the seven categories of topics we're talking about over the next couple of weeks. And as we talk about things like your spiritual health and your mental health and your emotional health and, and your physical health and your, all those different topics we're going to talk about, if you sit here and, and if you're one of the people who says, man, I got all seven of those categories knocked out, like I am spirit, I'm healthy in all those categories 100%, I don't need to get better at all in any of those categories, then I give you permission to do one of two things. Either you can tune me out for the next seven weeks because you have it all together, or better yet, I'm going to give you the microphone because I don't have it all together. So if you do, you'd have a lot to teach us. But most people I know would say, I don't have it all together. I'm still trying to piece this thing together. I'm trying to figure this thing out. And so what we're challenging you to do is to say, join with us on this 50-day journey, a 50-day journey where we're not just talking about this topic in church, but we're challenging you. Uh, if, if you're in a group be engaged in that group, especially if you're new going into a group and you don't know a lot of people in there. A lot of times what we do is we're a little bit uncomfortable. We put a wall up, like this wall of vulnerability, and we say, I'm not going to let people get past this certain, and it takes a little while, don't get me wrong, but engage yourself fully in the group. Engage yourself fully in the study. That means, you know, bring your Bible to church. Uh, one of the things we have for this journey, we have, the, we have these journals and the journals are allowing you to uh, take notes during church. There, there's questions in here for your group. There's devotions for you to do. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of stuff for you to engage with throughout the week. So it's not just a once a week or twice a week journey. It is literally saying every day of this journey, I want to be engaged. Because we believe transformation is possible. And we believe that if enough of us right here as a church say for the next 50 days, we're going to go all in on this thing that not only will transformation happen in a bunch of lives individually, but that literally 50 days from now, our church will not be the same. 
with the potential we have right here to reach people and, and to see their life changed, if we're transformed, if we allow God to transform us, we can literally transform Polk County together as a church. And so if you're not in a group, engage, bring your Bible. This morning I'm going to challenge you as we're reading through Scripture, circle some verses and underline this and do some different things. Be engaged, take notes. Remember these topics we talk about because every one of these topics is important. And if you're not in a group, I would challenge you before you leave today, figure out a way to have that sort of group correspondence. I'd I'd encourage you to sign up for one of the RPC groups. Uh, But even if that's not you, if you say, I'm still uncomfortable with that. One of the reasons why this is so pivotal is because I learned when I was back in college that we all learn a little bit in a setting like this. If, If we're in college and we have a professor and he gets up and he's teaching or she gets up and she's teaching, we learn a little bit from people talking to us. But for most of us, that's not the main way we engage. See, I got a group of, of people that I started to study with, and, and we'd hear the prof- professor kind of do his lectures and all that stuff. And then we get together and have a study group, and often it was during that study group that all of a sudden a light bulb came on, and we said, oh, now it starts to make sense. So if you're in, like, one of the official RPC groups, awesome. If not, I encourage you to do that. But if not, if you're not there yet, find one person that you can sit down with this week. And it could be someone that goes to Ridgepoint. It could be someone that doesn't, just one of your friends. They say, hey, we're going through this study, and I just need someone to bounce these ideas off of because we want to be as fully engaged as possible. Uh, the journal is a great resource to be able to allow us to be fully engaged. So I definitely encourage you to do that as you begin this journey. Uh, so today we start talking about one of the seven topics. And I'm going to introduce all seven topics to us so we can kind of have an idea of what's coming. And we're going to focus on the first one. So we'll do the first one first. We're talking about different areas of, of health. And our first category is, is spiritual health. Obviously, it's important. It's probably, it is the most important one. We'll get to that in a second. But we also have physical health. We have mental health. We have emotional health. We have relational health. We have vocational health. And finally, we have financial health. Now, for every one of us to be healthy in our lives... We can't just pick or choose and say, okay, I like two of these or I like four of these. It's saying that every one of these is important. But see, here's the problem. We often err in one of two ways when it comes to trying to figure out our health, especially in these seven topics. We err in one of two ways. And and one way is, is that we become deficient in one area. We become really deficient in one area. We say, we're going to neglect this one. We've neglected this one for years. For a lot of us, which one of these is the thing you think we neglect most often? The green one, (laughs) the first green one often, I think for a lot of people, because as we get older, life gets busy. I remember I played a lot of sports growing up. I remember reading a study when I was young, I was reading the newspaper and they said most people by the time they turn 30 years old, they get no physical activity at all during the week. And I said, man, that's never going to be me. I, I played basketball every day. I played football. It didn't matter. I was outside doing something. And I made a promise to myself at that point, man, when I get to be 30, that's not going to be me. I'm still going to be in sports leagues. I'm going to be active doing all this stuff. And then I got to 30, and that wasn't the case. So we have a tendency to neglect physical health for a little while, maybe for a long while. And then at some point, maybe we go to the doctor and we get a checkup, and the doctor says, you're not doing so well. And if you don't address this one particular area, you're not going to have the other areas to worry about because you're not going to be here. And so what we do is we say, okay, for each one of us, we have a fixed amount of, of resources. We have, we have fixed margin in our life. And that margin can be in the form of, and these balls today 
are going to represent our margin. This is our margin. This represents our time. This represents our finances. This represents our energy. This represents our, our creativity. And we have a fixed amount of these to use to spread out among all of, of these totes. And so what happens is we spend years neglecting one area, and we become really deficient in that area, and all of a sudden it becomes like the red light priority, like we have to take care of that now. And so our response to that is to say, this has become an emergency situation, and so I'm going to take every resource I have, except that one, and I'm going to pour it into this bucket. That one kind of escaped as I was trying to work out. But we put all of our resources into the bucket. And we say, let's do everything we can. And we neglect all the other areas because right now this has become the priority. And eventually at one point, even that becomes a priority. And we, we start to fix up that area. But we neglect the other areas. And what happens is we start to get burned out. Because everything we do gets put in this category. And we don't feel like there's the, the, the moving along that we expect. There's, there's not the growth we expect and this becomes burnout. And so he said, man, I'm done. I tried working out. I tried working out for two whole weeks. And there's no benefit. It's all I did for two weeks and nothing. There's no benefit at all. So eventually I start to disperse these again among the others. And sometimes it's evenly distributed. Sometimes it's not. But so I, eat, I distributed them among the different totes. And again, I, I neglect the physical one. And, and, and I think that at some point, I'm starting to have some level of, of balance in my life. Because we think that if I could evenly distribute it among all the totes, and even if I start to become smart about it and say, okay, I have, I have more here, so let me fill up the physical bucket a little bit. And, and I have some, some margin here, so let me pour a little bit more in here. And, and I should probably be a little more spiritual, so let me put maybe one extra over there. And we think if I could take, if I have 100 balls and there's seven totes, if I could just figure out a way to get 13 areas of margin in my life in each of the totes, that now I'm going to achieve the balance that's going to make me healthy in my life. But here's the thing about balance. Balance leaves room for priority. In our life, we need to have balance but that doesn't mean there has to be equal distribution because some of these areas have to be more important than the others. It's not that we can choose to neglect all of them, but we err on one side of saying we're going to pour all of our balls into one tote and just focus on that. And we err on the other side of saying there has to be exact even distribution among all of them. And so what we do is we say, okay, what that means is for me then vocational health has to be just as important and have just as many of my resources as my relational health. And so I put my job on even par with my family. And that's not how things are supposed to be. Or I say, okay, I want my financial health to be just as important as my spiritual health. All of them are, are important. But healthiness leaves room for us to have priorities. And so in our life, we have to figure out, especially in this season of life, what is God trying to accomplish in my life? And though I need to address the other areas, what are the big areas that I'm supposed to be focusing on? Maybe right now you're newly married. Listen, if you're newly married, this one right here is going to be a big priority. Because you're still trying to figure out, even if you're in the first couple years of marriage, you're still trying to figure this part of the relationship out. And so relational health becomes a big deal. You're, you're processing through things like how you were raised and, and, and a bunch of different things that are bombarding you at once. And so relational health becomes a priority in that season. Or you start to have kids and relationships change. 
So we go through seasons where certain things take priority. But for every one of us, I can't figure out the other areas of what your priorities are supposed to be. All of these are important. We're going to go through all of these. But I can say this. For every one of us this morning, the number one priority is this one. The number one priority in our life. And I'm not saying it's the way that it's working out right now in our lives. But the number one priority in our life should be our spiritual health. And this is the one, and and I wish I had the ability to do this. This is the only one that if I pour more of my resources into this tote, this is the one tote that has the ability to reproduce more time and and, and more finances and, and, and more priority in our life. That if I could have more balls, I could actually distribute them. If I'm focusing on this goal, it gives me more margin in my life to be able to more adequately fulfill all of these. And so today as we launch out on this series, I want to begin with a, a story that we're probably familiar with. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Luke. A story that if, if we grew up in church, going to church at all, we probably, this is one of my favorite stories. But Luke chapter 15. And as we read through this, we're just going to read through this story. And as we read through this story, if you have your Bibles and if you don't mind marking your Bibles, all I'm going to do, I'm not going to comment on it a whole lot. But as we read through, I'm going to say, circle this word, underline this word, because we're going to come back to some of those words. So if you have your Bible and you're comfortable with it, uh, just as we read through the story, and we're just going to read through the story of the prodigal son, as we read through it, just kind of hearing the story first. It says this, Luke 15, verse 11. And he, being Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me. Circle the words, give me. Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered, circle that word squandered, his property in reckless, circle that word reckless, living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Then verse 17, it says, But when he came to himself, underline the words, he came to. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I I perish here with, with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned, circle the word, I have sinned, against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy, circle those words, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father responded and said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it says, and they began to celebrate. If you're like me, and and I necessarily grow up going to church, but I've heard this story a lot. I've read this story a lot. And in fact, a couple of years ago, before I was the the lead pastor here, I was a youth pastor, and I actually preached this story in, in, in church before. But every time I come across this story, there seems to be something new that pops out to me. 
And as we're preparing for this series, especially talking about the idea of I need to focus a lot of my attention on spiritual health, and listen to me real quick, that means today, if if you consider yourself a believer and if you're following Jesus, you still need to focus on spiritual health. But if you're sitting here saying, man, I've I've been kind of watching this whole thing for a while, but I'm not sure about it, this also becomes your focus. And so I grew up going, going to church off and on. I heard this story quite a bit. And yet as we started to prepare, I said, there's something new that I'm gleaning from this. There's something new that I'm pulling from this that we're going to talk about this morning. Because I believe for every one of us, we need to have this be our number one priority. And spiritual health is necessary for all of us. And spiritual growth is possible for all of us. So how do I achieve a level of spiritual health? We're going to break down the story real quick. How do I achieve a level of spiritual health? Looking at the prodigal son. The first thing that happens is, is not only does he become, become aware of his sin, because a lot of us become aware of our sin, but he gets fed up with his sin. Not just with the results of his sin. You see, the longest time I read this, I was just thinking, well, he didn't like the result of what happened. He lost, he squandered all the money, he lost all of it all. But as I read this story, I'm convinced it wasn't so much that he got fed up with the results, but he actually got fed up with his sin. He looked at the situation and he said, man, I was chasing after my dream. I thought by having all this money, I'd, I'd, I'd have friends and I'd have all the stuff that I thought. But even in the midst of him having the success that he was longing for, I believe he was already starting to find the misery. Because when we chase our dreams, often those dreams, at the end of those dreams, we realize that there's bitterness and there's disappointment. And it's never what we anticipated. Well, the son chases after everything that culture had told him was important. And he got the parties and he got the living. And if it were us, he would be saying to us, man, you're chasing cars and you're chasing that lifestyle and you're chasing those friends and you're putting all of your balls in all these other buckets that really aren't essential and you're neglecting this. I think part of the problem with the church, especially the church in the United States, is that we don't get fed up with our sin. We do a good job of getting fed up with other people's sin. Like, we do that a lot. We can point fingers and say, I can't believe they're doing that. And let's go pick at that and let's go ride against it. But when it comes to our sin, but it's not that big a deal. Like, it, it's not cheating if I only do this little bit. Like, no one's even going to notice. And, and I can cheat the IRS just a little bit, right? That's not that big a deal. I can skip this and I can neglect that because it's, it's not as bad a sin as, as that. And we don't take our sin seriously. See, it's one thing to become aware of our sin. So one thing to acknowledge, oh yeah, I know that I made a mistake and I know that I messed up in that area. But it's another thing entirely to say, God, I'm fed up with that. God, I've been chasing, I've been pursuing these things because I thought it was all that I wanted. And, and I think a lot of us could understand where the prodigal son would come from. Because we've chased after these things for a long time. We thought, man, I'm going to find satisfaction in all of those things. At the end of it, we say, I thought this was all what I wanted but I don't feel the level of satisfaction that I, that I thought I would have. The son gets fed up with this thing. He says, he, he, it, it talks about how he, he had, he, the first couple of verses we get into, it says that his desire is saying, Father, give me. And he goes out and he squanders it and he becomes reckless in the way that he lives and he gets fed up with that lifestyle. So the first part of it is that he gets fed up with his sin. We cannot feast on God's best in our life until we're fed up with our worst. In my life right now, if, if I think that I'm going to pursue the things that I want, and I think that they're really good, I think they're really important, and so I want to eat on those things, then give God some sort of acknowledgement. And God says, wait a minute, you're not going to get my best. 
You're not going to be able to feast on my best until you get fed up with what is becoming your worst, the things that you've pursued, the things that you thought were important, they're not important. And you're not going to get my best. You're not going to be able to feast on my best until you get fed up with the worst of the things that you're chasing. Because God's desire in our life is to bring about a, a, a dependency upon him. To bring about a, 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 just a, a desperation towards him. And sometimes what happens is we chase that dream and we think, man, I got, I have, I have the, the job that I always wanted, that dream job. And, and I, thought, I think I have everything. And then God yanks that carpet out from under us. And maybe it is that we lose our job. And we think, well, how could that be? God, I thought this was your plan for my life and things going really well. And I was getting more financial health in my life. Like I thought that was important. And God says, yeah, but you're starting to depend upon all that stuff. And you're losing that desperation for me. And ultimately, God's desire is to produce a dependence upon him. Because there's this verse over in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. It's out of the message, but it says this. You'll find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. See, all these things, they're they're important. We're going to spend weeks talking about these things. But if my physical health or my financial health or my vocational health is as important or more important than my spiritual health, then I'm missing Jeremiah 29, 13. But if I say, God, in my life right now, if I pray this prayer, if everyone of us would pray this prayer this morning, saying, God, I want to get serious about finding you. And God, I want to find you. I want to know you more than anything else in my life, more than other relationships, more than my finances, more than my career. God, I want to know you. If we ever got serious about that as a church, God says, you could find me. You'd experience me on a regular basis if you neglected those other areas, not entirely, but if they paled in comparison to focusing on him. Why is that a challenge to us? One of the things in the journal that they challenge you to do, and especially if you're in group, it challenges you to memorize scripture. And you have a verse every week that you memorize. And I've been part of groups before, so I've seen how this works. Is, is it called, we come out really excited about this. Say, yeah, let's memorize scripture together. And I've been part of groups where we say, you cannot eat a group until you have this verse memorized. And so all week long, it's really our ambition. We're going to say, yeah, I mean, we're going to memorize scripture. And then what happens? Our group meets on Monday night. And so inevitably, Monday about 5.30, especially the guys. I don't know why it's just the guys. But especially the guys are like, oh, crud. I never memorized that verse. And so they'll pull up like flying in a group like with their Bibles open trying to read as they drive and, and it's really unsafe. And, and, and they're trying to memorize it. And, and, and what happens is we memorize that verse uh, 10 minutes before we have to say it. And then we forget it 10 minutes after we have to quote. Like that's how it works. If we became desperate about God, if God started bringing about a transformation in our church, there'd be a lot of us They'll say, man, I, I took that verse, and, and, and Tuesday morning after group, I started memorizing. I wrote it on a note card. And I set it down in a spot where it's going to be really noticeable. I started memorizing that verse, and by Tuesday night, I had it memorized. So I went ahead and wrote out another card. It wasn't even in the book, and I started to memorize that verse. Why? Become, because we become desperate for God. So, God, we want to know you more than anything else. And his promise is, if, if you're really seeking after me, you'll find me when you're searching for me with everything that you have. Our sin right now gets in the way of that. The stuff we think that we want to pursue gets in the way of us having a genuine knowledge of who he is. So it requires us first to say, God, I'm fed up with my sin. I don't even like this stuff anymore. The stuff that I thought was going to bring me happiness, I've tried it for years, and it really isn't. 
And so, God, I want to, I'm fed up with it. I want, I want to give up that lifestyle. I want to pursue you with everything that I have. So the first thing is he, he gets fed up with the sin. The second thing is he owns up to his sin. It's one thing entirely to get fed up with something and say, okay, I'm never doing that again. And I can even apologize to God because it's a little bit easier. He's forgiving and he's, got, he's not right here face to face. But when we own up to our sin, the people that we offend, that is a challenge. Because we don't, we don't like responsibility. We don't, we don't like that side of, okay, I need to really own up to my sin. When I was really young, I was probably, uh, I'm guessing, five, six, seven years old. I, I was in my neighborhood, and most of the neighborhood kids in, in our particular neighborhood, they were four years older, three or four years older than me. And so because of that, we'd be out, we'd be playing football, and we had a lot of boys in our neighborhood. We'd wrestle and all this stuff. And because I was the youngest one except for my brother, uh, I often was the one at the bottom of the piles, and I was the one kind of getting beat up. Not bad, but just what boys do. And so one day I got fed up with it. And I said, I'm gonna, we're, we're wrestling, and I'm down on the ground. And there was next to me one of those plastic horseshoes. I mean, it was like the hard plastic, though, like one where if it hit you in the head, it would knock you, like, senseless. And, and so I see the, the horseshoe, and my buddy Tony had just knocked me over, and I pick up the horseshoe, and he's probably about 10 feet from me. And I just took the horseshoe, and, and I really want to take his head off. And so I took the horseshoe, and I threw it at him. Fortunately, it missed him. But unfortunately, as it missed him, it kind of circled around and went right through his parents' window of their house. And I'm young, and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I just took off running in my room, and I was like hiding away from everyone. And my parents were like, what's going on? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> like, I don't want to own up to my, my mistake. And so eventually they found out. Mom said, okay, JJ, we, we went over, and, and we're going to have to fix this, but you need to go over and apologize for what you did. And I said, uh-oh, you can ground me whatever you want. I'm not going over to apologize. And so mom said, okay, you're grounded. Don't, don't get me wrong. But you're also going to go apologize. So I said, okay, well, how long am I grounded for? A week. I said, okay. And so for that week, I just didn't get to go out and hang with my friends. And, and it was good because they weren't going to beat me up anymore. <laughs> and, and, but, but I just wasn't able to do all the stuff that I was able to do. And eventually the week ends. And I said, okay, now I can go out inside and play. And mom said, no. You still haven't apologized. What do you mean? Like I did my punishment. Mom said, yeah, but you haven't owned up to your sin. You have to go take care of it. And I went another week, and I'm like, I'm not apologizing. I'm not going over there. They're mad at me, man. And so after another week, Mom's like, you're still not allowed out until you go over and apologize. And it took me probably three weeks to finally humbly walk over and say, I'm so sorry. By that point, they were laughing about it. Like, they weren't even mad. When we own up to our sin, we realize, man, we've made mistakes. Everybody made mistakes. It's going out and figuring out, man, right now, I need to take account of my life. And if I've messed up, I need to go figure out a way as best I can to apologize, get fed up with the way that I used to live, and own up to the mistakes that I made. This is really powerful when it comes to a person who's not a believer. To realize, man, we, we've made mistakes and, and we've messed up and, and we own up to our sin and we come to God and say, God, I apologize for the mistakes that I've made. If that's you this morning, if you say, I've never made a decision to follow Jesus, our goal as a church is to introduce you to him and to his grace and to his mercy. It's about a, a momentary decision that you make that changes you for the rest of your life. And for every one of us, when we make that decision, it, it transforms us entirely. But if that's you, if you've never made a decision, or if you've been going to church for a long time, transformation is necessary in this area. For us to own up to our sin, for us to take stock, and to really evaluate our lives and figure out exactly where is it that we're at right now. There's another verse that I want to read real quickly here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says this. Test yourself to make sure you're solid in the faith. 
And this is true even if you're a believer. Test yourself to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. If you fail the test, do something about it. And that's from the message, but it says, give yourself regular checkups, and if you fail the test, do something about it. Saying right now, give yourself that checkup. For every one of us, it's necessary from time to time for us to get physical checkups. We go to a doctor to make sure everything's running properly. And the older we get, the more regular those checkups become. And we don't necessarily like those checkups, but those checkups are necessary to determine how healthy we are. And so Paul here is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's saying, listen, you need to test yourself on a regular basis. You need to give yourself that regular checkup. And if you fail in some area, then don't just sit there. Do something about it. If you go to get a physical and the doctor says, you're really unhealthy, there's arteries are clogged, you need to change your diet. Knowledge is important, but knowledge is nothing if we don't act upon that knowledge. We take a spiritual inventory of our life, and, and it's really cool to be able to figure out, okay, I'm really deficient in this area, but until we act on it, nothing really happens. We get fed up with our sin, and that being fed up has to respond in some sort of result happening. And so it's okay, now it's necessary for us to own up to our sin, to, uh, for us to come and, and to fix this situation. Because the next part, once we are fed up and once we own up to that sin, the next part comes when we say, now I want to offer myself up. God, my sin has gotten in the way of me, uh, having a relationship with you, and I realize that. And I've become aware of that, and I'm fed up with the way I used to live. And God, now I come to you, and the son comes to his father, In verses 18 and verse 19, it says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm sorry, skip verse 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He owns up to his sin, and he offers himself up. He says, Father, I know that I've made a mistake, and I know this was the advice that you give me all along. But never chose to take that advice. But at some point on his journey, he realizes that he's out and he lived up his dream and he lost all the money and the friends have left him and he has nothing left and he's being treated worse than his father's lowest servant. And so he offers himself up and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. But I figured out along this journey that if I could just come and be one of your servants, I'm not asking for my sonship to be restored. I'm not asking to be considered to be your son again. I'm just coming, God, saying, I want to offer myself up to you. I want to offer myself up as a servant to you. And the son says that to his father. He says, all I want to do right now is offer myself up. I want to be as, 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 as little as possible in, in, in your kingdom. I don't even want the sonship anymore. I just want to be one of your hired servants. And he offers himself up. Listen, when we're really broken... When we realize that our sin has separated us from God, and, and because of that, we don't deserve this. But that God still desires a relationship. We offer ourselves up saying, God, use me as you want. And we think, man, that God's going to use me as, as, as the lowest person in the kingdom. God's going to use me as his servant. But the thing I, that I love as we read this story is he comes offering himself up. And that's necessary for each one of us. But the Father's response says in verse 20, he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father, who had been waiting and watching for him, saw him. And he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father's response is the best. He says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Why? Because this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he's now found. And it says, they all began to celebrate. Transformation leads to celebration. In our lives, transformation leads to celebration. The son was coming just hoping, I hope my dad will even just open up the door and I'm going to come humbly on knees saying, Father, I'm so sorry, I've sinned against you. Just let me be a hired servant. But he doesn't know the father has been out there waiting for him to come. And he's been watching. And in the distance, he sees his son. And he, says, and, and he knows what the son's response is going to be. He's been waiting for that response. He knows his son is broken and his sin has led him to desperation. But when he comes and the son comes and says, Father, just let me be a hired servant. The father says, get up. I'm going to give you every part of your son's ship back. I'm going to give you my ring showing you're part of the family. I'm going to clothe you in the best because we're about to throw a party for you. And it says they all began to celebrate. There's a celebration that happens when it comes to the Father's response to us. And if, if, if today, right now, if you're apart from Jesus and you've never had a relationship with him, and you say, I've been fighting this battle for a long time, and I've been chasing after my sin, I've been chasing after my dreams, thinking they're going to bring me a level of satisfaction, and I'm fed up with my sin, I'm done living that life, and you say, right now I'm choosing to follow Jesus, at that moment... There's a celebration that happens. And a celebration at first might be like, that's cool, but I don't really deserve that. I can't help but put myself in the son's shoes reading this story because spiritually that's where I've been. And spiritually that's often where I find myself. If I can imagine myself being the son for a second. There's a party that's going on and they're killing the fatty calf and there's music and there's dancing. At first I might feel a little bit kind of awkward with the situation. Think, well, I don't really deserve this, and everyone's celebrating for me, and I've really made a bunch of mistakes. But at some point, I realize there's still grace. There's still mercy. And there's a party going on. And so at some point, I embrace that party. At some point, I'm the one celebrating, man, I can't believe that there's something authentic about church and gathering together to have a celebration. Because that's what this is. There's a book that was written a while back called Imperfect Harmony, Finding Happiness and Singing with Others. In the book, there's a guy that just did some research and he, and he found that there's something healthy about people gathering together on a regular basis to sing together. And was like, wait, what, what do you mean? He, he just did, it wasn't necessarily a religious book, but he's just looking, people that get together to sing together, which most often happens in church, but it could happen in other places as well. But there's something, people that sing together out loud in public, live longer lives, are, are generally emotionally more healthy. People battle depression, actually can come out of depression just because of the idea of their singing together. Why? Because there's a celebration that happens. And I'm choosing to partake of and celebrate with the other people. We gather together on a consistent basis, on a weekly basis, 
to celebrate. And we celebrate the fact that God's love broke through our life. And though we were sinners that were separated from him, because of his love, he has begun a relationship with us. And part of that journey is also the idea, and, and, and if this is you, I've, I've talked a couple of times today about if, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to give you a chance to make that decision this morning. To say, right now where I'm at, I've been chasing after my dream for a long time, and I realize there's no satisfaction in that. We want to give you a chance to say, if that's you, man, we'd love to talk to you after the service, pray with you. If you, nothing more than just fill out one of the connection cards and mark on the back that you made that decision, we want to be able to celebrate with you as a church. We want to talk to you about what baptism, uh, why that's significant. But one of the cool things is we're about to celebrate together as a church. We call the Lord's Supper communion. We believe if you're, if you're not a regular member of Ridgepoint Church, that's fine. Uh, we have open communion. It means you don't have to be a member here. Uh, but one of the things reading scripture we do believe is that it, this is uh, something that's specially set aside for believers to celebrate the death of, of their Savior. And so if that's not you, if, if, if that's not where you're at, that's fine. But if you make that decision this morning... I say, yeah, I realize my need for salvation. I realize my need for Jesus. That invitation's open to you as well. So we'll read these verses a little bit later when we celebrate communion. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and 24, it says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said he breaks the bread and he gives thanks. That word give, for give thanks is the word eucharisto in, in the Greek language. And the word eucharisto is often, some people actually refer to communion as, as a eucharist. It's a time of giving thanks for Jesus' sacrifice for us. And so when we gather together as a church on a weekly basis, we don't celebrate communion often in church, but when we gather together on a weekly basis to celebrate what God has done, it is us giving thanks. It's us gathering together to sing songs together, to celebrate, to listen to his word, and to celebrate together what he has done. For he is God and he is good, and he's looking for us to return to him. If there's one category of our life for us to have real transformation... And for us to start to gain traction that we need to focus on, it's our spiritual health. And so today, wherever you're at, one of the cool things about celebrating communion is it often challenges us to reflect on our life right now, to take stock of where we're at, to really assess that. Uh, and so in just a second, we're going to pray, and then we're going to start to prepare for communion. And as we do that, we'll start to talk about what it means to take inventory of our life and to figure out where we're at. But let's go ahead and pray first. Father, it is genuinely our prayer this morning as we talk about this idea of spiritual health that whether a person this morning would say I'm a long way away from really having a relationship with God and calling on Jesus, but God, today I realize that need. God, I pray for that person and for those people who've never made a decision to follow you, never made a decision to call upon Jesus as their Savior, never realized their need for him. God, that today, right now, would be that moment be fed up with their sin, to own up to their sin and offer themselves up to you. And God, for those of us who have said we've made that decision, but honestly, it's been a long time since we had a spiritual fervor in our life. I was saying a song earlier this morning. So we call it the dread, to dead bones, to dry bones come alive. God, I pray that in our heart right now, if our heart is dry, if our heart is dead, God, that your spirit would speak to us, 
that your spirit would revive something inside of us that says we need to get serious about this. We've been focusing on all of these other things. When in Jeremiah 29, 13, it says that if we seek after you with all that we have, that we're genuinely going to find you. And God, I pray that that is the prayer for everybody here this morning. God, that we seek after you with everything that we have, realizing how great you are. God, be with us. Prepare us for this. In Jesus' name, amen.